This episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. Need your home spray foamed? Check out msfi.ca today. We're proud to partner going into the holidays with The Store Next Door. Check out The Store Next Door online and be sure to check out all their awesome great gift ideas for the hockey fan and your family. And every Saturday in December, we have partnered up with Major League Socks and we are giving away a Major League Sock of a Toronto Maple Leaf. So if you want to check those out, be sure to follow along with Offside Talk. Be sure to follow the store next door and also follow Major League Socks. All right, guys, this is a great interview with the one and only Terry Koshan of the Toronto Sun. So be sure to sit back, relax, and have a little fun listening to this interview. All right, so I'm sitting down right now with the one and only Terry Koshan. He is a reporter for the Toronto Sun, covers the Toronto Maple Leafs, and there's been a lot that goes on and has been going on in the NHL with coaches and a lot that's gone on with the actual Toronto Maple Leafs themselves. But without further ado, Terry, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Jamie. How are you? You know what? I'm not doing too bad. I'm pretty excited for this one, I won't lie. Just everything that's transpired in the last little bit, getting to sit down and talk with you, while you're not with the team in Calgary and just break down, you know, the tweet that went out and then just talk about the current state of the team and stuff like that. It's just, it's a great time to be able to do that right now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, eh? The way things have gone in the past few weeks. I mean, we didn't, uh, I don't know if we talked about this in the, in the, in the uh, chat we did earlier, Jamie, but I, I always thought Babcock would make it till the end of the season. I don't think anybody foresaw what was going to happen in the, the six-game losing streak and then everything that has come afterwards. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting, beyond interesting, the way things are gone with the Leafs. And, uh, you know, it's um, Sheldon Keefe's done a good job, I think, turning them around to this point. No, he definitely has. I mean, it's like a breath of fresh air. But before we get into the current state of the Maple Leafs, let's backtrack just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Leading up to the Babcock, I guess, dismissal. We won't call it a firing because like, obviously everybody's trying to go with better words these days. So the dismissal of Babcock. It was before... a firing. You're good with that. You're fine with that. <laughs> I, think, I think Babcock's a big enough man that it's a firing. Definitely. Anyway. Okay, well, we'll yeah. go with the, with the firing of Babcock. So basically, yeah. when that was all getting lined up, the, mm-hmm. you look at the, the scrum before he was fired. That day, he did a media scrum, and I don't think yep. he knew anything that was going on. I'm wondering if you could give us a little insight into the fact what was it like at that point when you you know that scrum is going on and mm-hmm. he's like that? Do you think he knew anything was happening or no? No, I don't. And you know what? I was so I was on that trip and I think we figured out, Jamie, the bunch of us who are in the scrum that his, like looking back on it, not when it was actually happening, but a few hours later that his scrum ended at 105 local in, at the rink in Scottsdale. And the best email from the team announcing his firing came at 2.30. And after 105, there's still a bit of time that, um, you know, the, the team bus was there probably about 10 or 15 minutes before they got on it and departed the rink. So it, if it was more than an hour, it wasn't much more than an hour after his final scrum with us that he got let go. And it, we know now that uh, he was, um, you know, uh, called to a room at the at the uh, Leafs Resort where they were staying in, in Scottsdale uh, by Brendan Shanahan and told by Shanahan and Kyle Dubas that he was being let go. And it all happened very quickly. And, uh, no, there was no that, – that's a day that I won't forget for a while because, you know, they're here they are. They've lost six in a row. Um, they're practicing in the, in the rink that Austin Matthews grew up playing in. Babcock was in a good mood when he talked to us afterward. During the practice, I said to someone else, you know, if you walked in here right now, you wouldn't know that you're watching a team that's lost six in a row and, and, and they're real funk. They had a good practice. They were upbeat. They were looking forward to playing the Coyotes the next night. And lo and behold, within, like I say, you know, less than 90 minutes, Mike Babcock's no longer the coach, and uh, we go from there. So he gets a text message from Brendan Shanahan to come to the room. But before that, obviously, mm-hmm. we know that Shanahan got on a flight and met with right. Kyle Dubas, you know, in, in Scottsdale, in Arizona, and sat down. And this became what was going to happen, which was the firing of Mike Babcock. When did you guys catch wind that Shanahan and Dubas were going to be 
in Arizona, and did that start to swirl and make rumors and and get everybody no. thinking and guessing, or did everybody just think it was status quo? Yeah, there was no, there was nothing like that at all. We didn't know that Shanahan was going to be there until he was there and it had been announced. And then you know we get the uh, release saying that um, I guess we got Shanahan on the grounds at their the resort. They're saying in an hour and a half after the uh, the release came, so it was done quietly. And, uh, you know, I know that there was a talk at the time. John Tavares had gone home for a personal day, Jamie, and there was some questioning then as to whether that was done on purpose so he could share, um, you know, a plane ride back to uh, Phoenix uh, with Sheldon Keefe and Mitch Marner, who was joining the team, coming off his ankle injury. But, you know, we, I don't think that was the case. In fact, I'm, I'm next to 100% positive uh, it wasn't. It was uh, just happening to be a coincidence. But I know that Keefe took advantage of that. Uh, flight uh, to kind of pick the brain of Tavares, Marner as well. I mean, you spend three or four hours with the captain of the team you're about to take over. It's a bonus you want to take advantage of for sure. They did that. So, but no, going back to your original, there wasn't, there was no uh, feeling of it. I mean, in fact, I thought, you know, to be honest with you, I, I really thought that once they lost that game in Pittsburgh and were terrible, and, you know, it'll likely be their worst loss of the year, um, when they lost that game and then Babcock survived. Uh, afterward and coached, you know, three nights later in Vegas, I thought things were going to be okay. And then going off the mood again at practice, uh, again, you kind of get that feeling that, okay, we're going to continue on here with the status quo. That's not what happened. But no, there wasn't, uh, like I say, once you got through Pittsburgh, okay. And I know it was Hockey Hall of Fame weekend and whether the Leafs wanted to disrupt anything like that, I don't know, and, and, and do it on the Sunday. Um, not sure about that, but, you know, he, he coached in the Vegas game. Now, knowing what we do now, Jamie, I think if the, even if the Leafs had won in Vegas, they had, they had a, they played kind of well that night. Even if they had won that night, I still think this would have been done. Uh, I think it was Randy Carlisle fired Nanaheim years ago. His last game was a win, if I'm not mistaken. I think the same thing would happen with Babcock had they won against Vegas on the 19th. Well, I mean, for anybody who listens to this podcast, I thought for whatever reason, when they got home, I thought that's when they would fire them because 99% of the time, teams like to fire coaches at home. And do right. house cleaning at home because they like to be able to have their home venue to do the press conferences. And I'm sure you've been to a few of those and you can experience, yep. you know, the experience of being there and getting the releases. So this one was kind of unique and, you yep. know, it was done. I don't know if they wanted to make sure that they got the jump on it as fast as they could. But like you uh-huh. said, bringing in Keith and having him on the plane with Tavares and Marner and just uh-huh. all of those things. Then you have Keith who's already got his fingerprints all over a lot of these players. Right. So, yeah. you know, he's already known, you know, the Ingvalls and the Hymans, the Dermots. You can go through the list. He knows oh, yeah, knows them all pretty well, us. right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, for me, I, and you probably knew, and most people probably knew, when they extended Sheldon Keefe, this was going to be the coach of the future uh-huh. for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But yeah. the thing I want to get into before we start talking about the current status of the team and how everything's going uh-huh. now is you sent out a tweet. Um, I don't have uh-huh. it up in front of me, but basically detailing a little bit of the the list that was done by well, Babcock and Marner. Yeah, I, I wrote it more than anything. And someone else, they start, then it got started to get tweeted after that. But I just want to, what happened was, I, got, I guess to backtrack, backtrack a bit too, Jamie, I should say this. When the Leafs lost in Vegas, I had talked to my boss, I think on the 18th from Vegas. And I said, look, they just played poorly against the Penguins. You might want to have something lined, what you're getting at, lined up for Sunday the 24th. Great Cup Sunday, in case they fire him. I wasn't going to be back on time. My colleague who covers the Leafs with me, Lance Hornby, wasn't in town. So they were going to have to move some pieces around in our department to get somebody there. Because I thought, okay, well, if they if they lose after they've, they've lost in Vegas and they lose the next couple of games, then it's going to happen that Sunday. But like you said, it surprised all of us. And then, uh, you know, I, I kind of got wind of this Marner thing. And, and uh you know, some people say, oh, well, media sat on it and everything. That's not what happened in my case. That's, you know, um, others might have, but not me. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. But, I, you know, it happened so long ago that I, 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 I was told, too, that things with Marner and Babcock uh, were better after that. Um, but certainly when you're doing that with a rookie, that's going to leave an imprint on somebody uh, in the ensuing years, I would think. No, definitely. So that situation there, I mean – there were other people that, you know, run the same circles that I see, like Ian Tullock knew about it and, you know, tweeted about it after you. Uh, it seemed to catch fire. It seemed to be something that took on a life of its own after that. And then, obviously, you have the Commodore, 
you know, comments and everything that he's yeah. gone through. Then, then you have Frazier, and now you have yeah. guys coming out like um, Johan Franzen and just yeah. just so many other things. When when you sent out that tweet, and we'll get into all the other coaching stuff as well, because it seemed to kick off, you know, a, a storm of things uh-huh. that have gone on. When you sent that tweet out, um, and many people now have quoted you from the Steve Dangle podcast, 31 Thoughts, your name keeps uh-huh. coming up everywhere. I'm wondering uh-huh. if you knew what would happen when you sent that tweet and I have a follow-up no. question after that but I want to know okay. if you felt how you felt from that well no because my my I didn't and my you know if, if you go back to, to the way I wrote that it was um it was just a general piece coming home off the off the um off that trip you know the Leafs had a couple more games in the road but they came home to practice uh, you know, Mark Free. You know, you mentioned Mike Commodore. He's been. We all know Commodore's been tweeting for quite a while now about what he thinks of Babcock. Uh, Chelios had said some, a few things over the years and got back into it again. All this happened, but when Mark Fraser sent out what I thought were a series of measured tweets about what he, you know, came to learn about Babcock, not having really played for him like that, Jamie, but to talk to other people. And one thing, he, a couple things he said. One was, look, we all talk to each other, meaning the players. I mean, they see each other so much in the summer. They've all got the same agents. I mean, these stories are bound to come up. And I think, you know, the one part that he wrote was Babcock was known for pitting players against each other, teammates against each other. And that was that story about the Marner thing with, with the others. That That's what that was to me. And um, then, you know, when, when – uh, when Babcock acknowledged it first to Elliot to Friedman to a few others, you know, I, I wasn't really, wasn't relieved in a sense because I knew it was true. I, my source and it was hundred percent ironclad. So, um, but I, I didn't see the, you know, obviously the, uh, the ripple effect, uh, continue really to this day from that and the things that Akeem Alou was tweeting about. And, you know, I thought it was a bit of a, a bit of a leap to draw the line from Babcock to uh, Bill Peters. Uh, the way that Akeem Alou did, but um, anyway, I think there's going to be a lot of good change now for the game coming out of all this. And uh, but no, when I wrote it that day on the plane coming back from Denver uh, to Toronto, I, I didn't have any idea it would get to these ramifications. So now the tweets out there, everything's going on, and it's like I said, catching fire. So mm-hmm. was there ever the thought in your mind that this may have implications with you? maybe covering the team or just no. just being around no. anyone in general or did anyone say no. anything to you about it at all no 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 those um the the bottom line is you, you report something that something else did that, that you know was true it wasn't i would be i would be much more worried if i'd fabricated something than yep. tried to push an agenda but that didn't happen i mean if you if, if we want to get down to any gritty people I, I did jamie don't get me wrong i got emails some of the things I was called just reporting that I'm thinking to myself, people clearly don't know what the reporter's job is, but, uh, you know, I can do my defense to be, well, Mike Babcock shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have done something yep. to a player that at some point could get reported down the line because there are people who talk and all this sort of thing. And, uh, um, you know, so I'm reporting what's happened, what's happened. I'm not making something up and, and trying to make a name or anything like that. That was obviously never, I mean, look at, if that had ever been part of my thinking of it with the Jamie, the way I wrote that whole story would have been different. Oh, that wasn't sure. in my lead. It was just the way I got into it and everything. It's not what happened. So, no, there wasn't any – around the team, everything was fine. It was status quo. I went to practice on the Monday. Everything was good. You know, at some point, I think after practice that day, it was when Babcock acknowledged it was true. And, uh, you know, we just went on uh, uh, from there. I was back around the team in Buffalo later that week. And, uh, you know, it's go back to, to what you've uh, always done normally, more or less. Well, now that that has happened and the Akeem Alou has come out and the Bill Peters and now we have Montgomery and, you know, it just seemed the NHL put that the new four pieces of conduct out. But now it just seems like there is such a microscope on everything and more stories are coming out and more, you know, like Crawford is, is another one that's being investigated. Then you have Avery come back out and Sopel and say, you know, we, we weren't saying it to, to get him in trouble you know, and, and sometimes we deserve that stuff. I'm wondering uh-huh. what your stance is. You know, there obviously needs to be a change. This stuff cannot happen. It cannot be going uh-huh. on in locker rooms. You know, this is not the way it's supposed to be. You shouldn't have anybody, especially like you said, a rookie, coming in and feeling like it's a place that you don't want to play. Even with Akeem Alou, you know, you don't want to come to work and think this is the stuff that's going to be always around me and this is the negativity and the stuff that will follow me my whole career. So, I'm wondering now, for, for your standpoint, what do you think will change and what can the NHL 
do other than what it's trying to do now? What can it do to implicate imp, implement better things for players, coaches, and have something more structured going forward? Well, it's difficult to say anything specifically because, you know, even in all these examples we've seen, Jamie, they're, they're all different. They're all different, uh, uh, you know, uh, kinds of abuse. I mean, you know, Badcock, it's a mental thing with Marner. Uh, you know, Bill Peters and what happened with Keen Lou, uh, reprehensible, obviously. I mean, it's just it's something, uh, you know, it's stunning that something like that's happening in a hockey dressing room eight, nine, ten years ago, whenever it was still. I mean, it's, you know, kind of makes you sick to have to talk about it. But it did happen. Uh, then you have the physical things that the, the accusations of coming out of Carolina. Uh, we're not sure it is Jim Montgomery. And again, that's not, I don't want to draw him into this because I don't think it's in, that that has anything to do with anything else. Um, and, you know, Mark Crawford being investigated for things that happened years ago. There's, I think there's evidence, evidence to suggest that, that he's a changed man and has been for a while. Um, but what the NHL does specifically, you know, we saw some things coming out of uh, the board of governor, the board of governor meetings that are probably steps in the right direction, but you know, I know they're looking for transparency and a hotline and all that. I think you're going to, that's going to take some convincing to get some of the players to get into that. I mean, that's just my personal belief on it. Yeah. Uh, given, given um, the way that hockey players have been taught to, uh, you know, the, the whole culture and, and, and respecting their coaches and all this sort of thing. Um, maybe that's, maybe, maybe we see more change in the next generation, Jamie. It's hard to say, I don't know, but I know from the coaching standpoint, um, there are a lot of really good hockey coaches out there, excellent ones, great ones, who have not had to be abusive in any way toward their players to get results at the end of the day. And um, you know, I think we got to remember that too. That I've seen a lot of wide range or a lot of uh, wide paintbrushes being used to, to kind of uh, discuss the sports and how you know it can go forward and everything. But I think a lot of times we're talking about uh, unique, specific examples. And whether more comes out with Babcock, I don't know. All this sort of thing. Um, anybody else has been under the microscope whether more comes out we'll have to see but um you know it's hard to say how how it goes forward but you you would like to think that there is more transparency and for the people who have been doing these sorts of things a really long look in the mirror to realize it's been wrong and if you quote unquote haven't been caught doing it change those ways quietly so that you don't do it again right and uh you know i know it's very generic and you know from what i'm saying but that's that's one way it's gonna have to go um but, but a lot of it's so unnecessary. And uh, if you're a better person, you don't need to do the sorts of things uh, that you do to make your team successful. It's just, it's just, it's pointless. No, it's definitely pointless. And I, I think there's a lot of, I guess, reflection now from coaches and just yes. things that have been said and done. And you, I'm sure there's a lot of guys who are wondering, did I cross the line? Have I crossed the line? Oh, yeah. And I'm yep. sure there's been a lot of closed door meetings with coaches that are now coaching currently uh-huh. and saying to their players okay guys if there's anything let's air it out let's get it yep. in front of it let's talk about it whatever it may yep. be i mean the issue with babcock and marner was addressed apparently um you know was, was talked about yeah and he, you know and he babcock apparently apologized to marner but i mean mm-hmm. from what you just said too it's not the first time he's done this either he's had equipment right. managers do sure. it he's had different people do it so you know, yeah. it's like you said, something has to change. It needs to change now, and it's going to now. There's no way yeah. about it. Everybody's yeah. going to have to learn to do it differently. And I think that's a beneficial thing for the entire game, especially where we always talk about inclusivity and trying to grow the game. Of course. I think this opens it up. Yeah, yeah no, completely it does. And, you know, like the, the NHL in, in a way now is putting more um, stock that you can play. Uh, initiatives and uh, everybody can and I know we're talking about different things here in a sense but there's just no reason to treat players like that I know they're professional athletes they're getting paid millions of dollars and all this sort of thing but there's still no reason for it and going forward you hope like you say a lot of the people who've been doing it realize that and stop doing it before they do get caught no definitely you hit the nail on the head it has to be changed and change is coming and Speaking of change, now we can jump into the fact that Maple Leafs did make the coaching change and it came out looking like Rose's first three games and then obviously the honeymoon kind of came back down, the adrenaline kind of wore off a little bit, but it was a team adjusting to the new coach. And and still is, yeah, for sure. For sure. So 
when Sheldon Keith took over, obviously he was watching what the team was doing. Didn't tinker too much. Didn't change too much. What did you notice immediately when Babcock was relieved and Sheldon Keith came in? How did the team seem to react? Was it like a, huh, okay, I'm happy yeah. to play hockey again? Well, you know, like, like we've discussed, so it happens on the road. They have two the two games left in, in uh, Phoenix or Glendale, I guess, and, and Denver. And so I guess we, we, we talked to the players on the morning skate on the 21st because no one was available other than Shani on the uh, 20th. And, you know, who was it that famously said it? Tyson Berry. It's a new lease on life. Yeah. And he was referring specifically to himself, and we saw what happened immediately. He gets put on the power, top power play unit, and, and what, he scored three goals in three games or something? Yeah. Um, you know, but, but he was talking about himself and the team as a whole, and you just, you just saw that lift. And listen, Jimmy, you know, whenever there's a coaching change player, there, there is going to be relief for some players. And there will be a disappointment for others. John Tavares wears the C on the front of his sweater with a lot of pride. And I know that there was disappointment for him that the firing of a head coach happened on his watch, if you will. Um, so there was, there was that. And, uh, you know, other players, you know, Morgan Riley spoke to it. And, and there were a few others. But generally, the feeling was um, we need – we needed a, um, a, a fresh voice behind the bench. We needed a fresh, a fresh voice in the dressing room. Sorry, and they got it. Now the, the interesting thing here is, you know, um, Keith, like, like you mentioned, Keith knew a lot of the guys, coached a lot of them, but he had been around enough, uh, you know, at training camps and that, in his role at the Marlies to get to know some of them. Austin Matthews said, "Hey, listen, like, like Sheldon, the coincidence is, of course, Sheldon Keith lives in the Scottsdale area during the off season." in the summers so he would bump into austin matthews every so often in that area when they were at home during the summer and you know this is where he starts to coach the leaf so matthew's saying bumping into him a few times and, and odd times kind of out of context times kind of you know that that does a little bit for a relationship as well and you know what the players who had signed long-term contracts aren't dumb i mean they, they probably knew that this was going to happen at some point eventually like the rest of us watching the contract that that Keith does get with the Marlies, you're thinking, okay, well, he's ready to move on to the National Hockey League. It wasn't just us saying that in the last Marlies season. A lot of people in hockey were saying that the Leafs managed to keep him. You know, he's going to be the coach at some point. It just happened, like I said earlier, a lot sooner than we figured it would. But there was um, there was relief, and you know what? So they go up and win the first three games. I know a lot of times the um, you know, you get, a, you get a coaching change and there's adrenaline and energy and all that sort of thing yeah. that fizzles fairly quickly. Well, I, I, I guess, it, I suppose it did with the Leafs in that, you know, they, they, they had a bit of a rough bump after they won those three games. But I think for them, what the difference was, they knew that Sheldon Keefe had, some, had a lot of good ideas for how he wanted to get his offensive players to be as good as they possibly could be, give them a little more ice time. They knew that was going to take some time to to implement those changes. Well, yeah, and, putting guys you know, in you, spots to succeed, right? Right. Putting put in the spots to succeed, um, a greater emphasis on what each man is doing on the ice and, and uh, a lot more support, uh, this sort of thing. But just so you go and win the first three games and you think, okay, well, on the outside looking in, we're probably thinking, geez, the, these changes, they, they certainly took, uh, took, uh, took heel quickly. But you come back down to earth a bit, you lose in Buffalo, you win the next night. And, uh, you know, you lose a couple more before you win a few more. But um, they knew from right off the bat that there were going to be good things coming for them. I think change-wise, is there still a long way to go? Yes, there is. Um, I'll be surprised if Kyle Davis isn't busy to an extent. I shouldn't say busy. I said active to an extent when the trade deadline comes into February. But, you know, they've been doing some good things. I've, I've liked the, uh, the way that Keefe has used players. Now, having said this, one thing we got to keep in mind, Jamie, is whenever there's a coaching change, of course the new guy is going to come in and try to make some things different. Yep. But I thought one thing was very interesting. Um, I think it was going into the Colorado game. We got the players uh, in the afternoon. I remember correctly, there was a morning skate. So we had Keefe around 4 o'clock, and he was asked, why did you put Mikheyev here? Why did you put Hyman on the right wing? There are three or four changes, the Kerfoot to center. I think that was one of them. And anyway, um, he said, you know, it wasn't so much what I wanted to come in and do and, and what, it, what I had seen. It was, it was more leaning on the assistant coaches and the management to try to, to make some changes and how we might go about doing that. So I think that there had been the, uh, the ideas before these changes were made that, you know, with the coaching staff, what else can we do? And uh, when Keith comes aboard, they're able to make them. 
you know, whether Blackhawk or Sub or whatever, just didn't see the the uh, value in making some of those changes. They're able to do it with the new coach and. You know, for a guy like Tyson Berry, someone said to me right off the bat, it's going to be not long before Riley's with Berry, and the reasoning will be when they say, well, what about defensively? And Keith's going to come back and say, well, we got, we want, we're going to get to the point where we're such a good possession team. If there are defensive hiccups there, they won't matter because we'll have the puck more often than not. And I think we're maybe seeing that pairing together a little earlier than we thought. But, you know, you, you like the way the lines, some of the lines look. I don't, I don't know, Jamie, like, I have we – are Marner and Matthews going to get a shot together at some point? That wouldn't surprise me. Like a good long one. No, Not I think it'll period, be a good long a period one. here or there. Just the way you can just see the way that things are, 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 um, are germinating for, for Keith, that he could go that way. You know, once he gets them to be as good as they can be defensively, you think that that could happen. You know, Babcock never really did it until everyone was screaming at the top of the lungs, give this a shot, give this a shot. And then when it finally happened, it wasn't, there wasn't much attention paid to it and it didn't last very long. Um, I think that'll get a longer look at some point under Keith. We'll have to see, but uh, you know, I think if you're a Leaf fan, you have to be fairly pumped up about a couple things. A, that, a, that there's some changes being made and B, while they've been making the changes and implementing them and learning and adjusting, they've been able to win six of nine. So that, that tells you something right there too. There is a good, you know, we've always known there's a good nucleus here, but they're able to make those adjustments on the fly and win while you're still making a few mistakes, making those adjustments. What I'm it's, wondering... It's a good sign for the end, for sure. For your perspective on this, um, yeah. you know, you talked about Babcock maybe being a little bit stubborn. Um, yeah, I've, and I've, he wasn't maybe. He was stubborn. We know that. Right? Oh, yeah, for sure. No, you know, definitely yeah. being stubborn. So we'll call it what it yeah. is. He's definitely yeah. being stubborn. I'm wondering, you know, you talk about the other coaches already having ideas and, and Keith coming in and listening to them. I'm wondering with these ideas if it was so much the fact that, you know, McFarland wasn't allowed to run the power play the way that he wanted. Maybe he wanted Barry right. there. And same yeah. thing goes with Haxtell. Maybe he wanted certain players on the penalty kill in a certain way to do yeah. it, but they weren't allowed to because Babcock said, no, this is the way it's going to be overall. Well, you guys can implement yeah. what you want, but I'm going to put the personnel in. Yeah, it, it's well. Something was there because let's let's look at the power play for a second and Tyson, the, the example of Tyson Berry. Either it occurred to Paul McFarland before the firing that Berry should be on that top unit and be given a good run there. Never mind with Morgan Riley. I mean, we we just assumed that one would replace the other, but you know we've seen both of them playing on that top power play unit at least in the beginning. But so for McFarland, Jamie, either. One of two things happens, perhaps. Uh, one, he has the idea of putting Barry there, is told no. Or B, that the idea doesn't occur to them at all, and they just keep the status quo. So neither one is a good option, right? Neither one is a good answer. Um, but the fact is, they, they did that. Sheldon Keefe says right away to a, to a couple of men that he's not going to have any type of coaching background with. This door is open. Let's see where we can go with it. And I think that that approach might have been a little bit different than what was happening up until the end of the practice on November 20th. Oh, definitely. And one of the things that I really liked about the fact about Keefe is mm-hmm. he's not afraid to shake it up, mix it up, especially right. if the game's not going his way. And yeah. one thing yeah. that I like, Babcock did it once or twice, but coming out of a penalty kill, tossing out yeah. Austin Matthews with John Tavares mm-hmm. and Mitch Marner, that is yeah. that is awesome. Why wouldn't you want to yeah. do that? Why wouldn't you want your big yeah. horses to run and get them it's out like there and playing? Yeah, it's led to a few goals. We've seen a couple of timeouts at interesting times. I covered the game in St. Louis on Saturday. You know, the, the Leafs are kind of breaking down a bit. Beginning of the third, they give up the goal to David Perron. I think it was two minutes in. Keith calls a timeout. Nips that in the bud completely. What happens the rest of the game? The Blues don't score again. You know, so there was another timeout earlier in, in one of the other games that I thought was interesting, uh, a move on his part as well. So, just some some different ways of thinking. You're you're right about putting that line out there right after um, uh, penalty kills. I think Jimmy too. You're seeing in, in closer games, uh, rolling more of a th- three lines or going harder on three lines yep. instead of four, which I think is key as well. Um, not having some of those fourth line players out there in a one or two goal game when you could climb back into it. Um, you know, uh, the, the the player use has been has been pretty fascinating because the, the the people who wanted it more are getting that now, and you know, where some of them might not have been happy going home to bed at the end of the night, um, I think they're not going to have that excuse now. They're being given the proper opportunities to succeed. Oh, and so, I think you'll see you know, them flourish. Again, we'll see where it goes, but it's 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 good it's good it's good initial steps for sure. Oh yeah, well, like you said, we said this from the onset of, of Sheldon yeah. Keith getting this team. 
it's still in its infancy of him imploring right. assistance and finding who he wants. But a guy that's really impressed me, and I wonder what your take is on this guy. I really like Pierre Engvall and what yeah. he has brought to the, not only the penalty kill, but just mm-hmm. being a little bit of a stabilizing fourth on the bottom end where you have a constant rotation of guys like Timoshev and Goche. Yeah. You know, he's come in and done his job, and he's a guy that mm-hmm. obviously Sheldon Keith puts a lot of trust in. So I'm wondering yep. what your thoughts are on Pierre Engvall and what he's brought so far. Well, he's got the wingspan, right? He's big. <laughs> he can move. I mean, he's got the smarts. I mean, look at the play that they uh, they they, they uh, he and Zach Hyman stealing the puck in the neutral zone, shorthanded in, in St. Louis last weekend and scoring. Um, just plays like that, and and just you know, for I, I we talk about you know Keith knowing these guys from the Marlies and and how many of them there are. And all this sort of thing. So, but that goes the other way too now with a guy like Engvall and so many other Jamies. They don't, they don't have to earn the trust of the new guy. They've already got it because they've done good things for him in high pressure situations already. Especially if you're a part of that team that, that won the Calder Cup two years ago, and then you know you go on the longer run last year in the playoffs, longer than a lot of people thought the Marty's would go on. So that 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 you've already got that trust. He's got it in you. So he's going to use Engvall in places that he knows he he you know. He knows from the Marlies, uh, being more aggressive on the penalty kill, this sort of thing, using him there more. And, you know, I, I thought Engvall was going to be one of these guys who was going to be sent back down, given the contract situation and everything. But uh, that hasn't happened. I know some other injuries have popped up, uh, fortunately for the Leafs, uh, with Andreas Janssen and, and Trevor Moore and this sort of thing. But um, he, he's been a valuable piece for them. And I think he's going to continue to be that, you know. Uh, once the other once these other guys come back, I mean, other injuries could happen. But if they don't, uh, you're trying to envision. I know it's a fourth line guy and everything, but I guess third line tonight. But you're trying to envision a team going forward without it, without Pierre Engvall on it. It's kind of hard to because he has been a really good role player for them. But again, it's somebody that he knows that Bab- that Keith knows. Babcock Keith knows, and that goes a long way. And um, you know, well, when you're well, able well, to develop that's out yeah, right sorry, now. You got Trevor. Yeah. Uh, you got Trevor Moore out right now with an injury. Yeah. He, he's chomping at the bit to come back. Apparently, he's lost the red jersey and is donning yeah. the regular practice jersey, just waiting to get clearance. So he's another guy that's been underneath Sheldon Keith before. So obviously, yeah. he'll bring a little bit of something. But I, I think the Maple Leafs will be uh, trying to find a way to keep Pierring Ball in the lineup. And yeah. you touched on it a moment ago. The Leafs do need to address the backup goaltending situation. Do you see anything on the horizon yes. for that? No, I don't. Not really. I mean, you know, Freddie Anderson going again in, in Calgary and assuming, of course, that he will again in Edmonton. And what's the next, uh, I mean, the next back-to-back is next weekend, right? After the Rangers, then home to the Wings on the Saturday. So, um, you know, obviously, like like he's saying today to, to the to media in Calgary, uh, he's got the confidence, you know, well, he always has, but the guys have the confidence in him. Why, why end that? Why, why, you know, give him the rest when he, excuse me, probably doesn't necessarily need it. Um, you know, you just hope this doesn't catch up to you, but as far as the backup goal goes, Jamie, something's got to be done. You have to have a guy that you can put in there and be confident that can win you hockey games. Right now, the Leafs are not at that point in Michael Hutchison. And as we know, you know, Cascasillo didn't get a very good opportunity in that spot. But uh, Oh, he got sacrificed, is what I feel. Like. Yeah, he did. He did, of course. And you don't want to get to a point at the end of the season where then Frederick Anderson is, uh, you know, Built trying to out. get more sleep at night because he's tired, exactly. So we'll see where this goes. But um, well, do it's you a think tough spot for We were just it's talking about trying to keep Pierre Engvall in the lineup. Do you mm-hmm. think that with a guy like Andreas Janssen, who is – Kind of had trouble fitting into this lineup, finding a yep. you know a forever home on the line. Do you see that maybe being a valuable piece that you could move to get? I don't know a Tristan Jerry, a Casey DeSmith, a Ryan Miller has been rumored. Um, I figure it would have to be someone that could almost maybe fill into the heir apparent for Freddie Anderson when he does come right. up for his contract. But I'm wondering uh-huh. what you think on that. Is that something? Because you, you mentioned well, the trade deadline and them making moves. Is that the kind of right. moves you're thinking, or yeah. are you thinking bolstering the blue line? It would be. Well, both of those would seem to be an ongoing uh, area topic of conversation in Toronto. But I, I think right now, as far as the, the backup goaltending goes, Jamie, what the Leafs need and what they should be getting is just a, is just a person that can come in and play every fifth game, whatever it is, and give you a really good opportunity to win, if not win. 
I don't think the Leafs are too worried right now about looking down the road as you know what happens when Anderson's contract is up, whether he resigns, whether they want to resign him then, and all that sort of thing. I don't I don't think that's really in, in the on the front burner right now. I think you just need a guy to come in and you can have the confidence not only to, to go in and play and, and and win a hockey game like they had with Curtis McElhenney and haven't had since, but to be that guy in case God forbid Freddie Anderson gets hurt, right? They don't have that right now. So you're talking about the guys that they could possibly trade. Well, you do, if, if everyone's healthy, you have a deep group of forwards. That's all there yeah. is to it. And if you want to have a serious goaltender in net, then that guy is probably making some fairly good money somewhere else right now, right? And might be next year as well. So how do you get a player like that? Then you have to trade something of value, something of financial value, something that's going to give another team value on the ice. If it's a Janssen, perhaps, I don't know. Who knows? I mean... But if you have all of these forwards that are healthy, the bottom line is you're going to have guys playing for the Toronto Marlies that have no business being there. And other teams will know that as well. Oh, so definitely. You know, we'll, we'll have to we, see. They've they, they, they got to improve it. They have to get better there. There's, we already have guys on the Marlies now yeah. that are not, you know, look at you look at yeah, Pontus Aberg, who's up with yeah. the team right this second. Obviously, yeah. not contributing just yet, but obviously haven't had been you know in there very long. But down on the Marlies, he's dominating. Same with Kenny Agostino. And yeah, you know, a lot yeah, of those guys yeah. they brought in in that mass signing they did. But yeah. I'm wondering, the Maple Leafs basically, for any move they make right now, if they don't want to subtract salary, they basically right. have to do salary for salary, you know, dollar for dollar. And right. one thing that has come up and been bantied about is New Jersey Devils look like they're in a fire sale. Uh, it looks like yeah. they want to get rid of a lot of players. And someone that keeps popping up has been rumored to go to Toronto before was P.K. Subban. You look at Cody Cece's yeah. number... And you look at PK Subban's number. I'm wondering, do you think there's any any fire to that smoke that's been put out there, or is that just pie in the sky thinking by some people? Well, I think right now it probably is a bit because where are we? We're December what 12th. Yep. When's the trade deadline? February 25th. Yeah. Yeah. In so that time. Yep. yeah, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot to happen in the next two and a half months, and um, you know I know that things aren't great in Jersey right now, and. The Taylor Hall situation obviously bears watching. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens there. But he's going to Colorado. You, yeah, okay, but you wouldn't think that <laughs> you wouldn't think that they're ready to blow it up to that extreme when you've got a guy like Subban under contract like you do. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, if, if that's the case, then, then Cody Ceci's probably going to do some better things to become more attractive. Oh, I think uh, they package. Uh, there'd obviously be a package. You know, if you're if yeah, you're for sure, for like sure. That. No, there would be, but. I don't know. It's um, I guess at this point you never say never on anything, right? <laughs> it's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you know, some of the moves that this team has made, we never thought, for example, that Dion Phaneuf would get traded ever, and not no retention and, either. Right. So uh, to the Ottawa Senators, I mean, you look back on. I know it's been several years, but it's still kind of hard to believe that all went down the way that it did. So you know, the the, the, the trading of the Clarkson uh, contract originally. Yep. Um, was another one that took us all by surprise. One of those things thought, okay, well, how can this possibly happen? Well, then it does happen. Well, how about so, Zaitsev for Cece? Same thing. No retention. That? No retention on Zaitsev when we traded him over to Ottawa for yeah. Cece, and so, we only so get one year yeah, Cece. Yeah. So here I am saying, you know, wait, let's wait a couple of months or whatever. But um, you know, we do have the we, we do have the roster freeze coming up. I think on the nineteenth, so there will be a span in there where nothing happens. But uh, we'll have to see. The fact is the. The Leafs need to get that improvement defensively. Now, we can say that, and, and, and but we have to recognize, too, that what Keith is doing still is going to take time yeah. to implement. And can he get it done with the people who are part of that group right now, the main cogs in it? Well, I mean, it's bearing that's, fruit that's already. For you. What's that? It's bearing fruit already, what he's doing. It is bearing, it you, is bearing fruit already. You, you now, look at the St. Louis the game haul, and, right? and the... The Vancouver game, those are easily telltale signs of the things he's putting in. And much like you said, it's little things too, like the calling of the timeout to nip it in the butt, calm the game down, and get it back into their favor. It's those things that are coming in and just showing this team that they there's stability beyond me just telling you what to do. You know, there's there's way more to the game than just that. And and he's showing them that, which is great. And the other thing I want to ask you about with this team, the energy and the camaraderie seems to be back. Like, these guys are excited yeah. when they score goals now. You know, they're yeah. standing up for each other. You look at Kapanen standing up for Freddie the other night. All of yeah. those things are now starting to come back to these players 
and it's refreshing to see. And I'm wondering if you're seeing those same things around the rink when you're with the team. Yeah, I agreed. And you know what? The funny thing was, they, I started to hear a few rumors about you know rifts in the room and all this sort of thing before the before the coaching change. And uh, I never really bought into that sort of thing because I, I didn't see it on a daily basis, Jamie. I know. Listen, we're only we're not in there for you know hours on end, everything like that, and not really around a lot of the players at revealing times and all this, but there was just never a sense of that. But having said that, there is certainly a difference now, right? And it is not just coming to work and punching the clock and hoping everything goes well. There is the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. They're seeing it. They're taking advantage of it. Keith has supplied that for them. Um, but there is, there is a happiness for sure. And, you know, I, I don't know to what extent they were all, or for the majority, they wanted Babcock gone, that they all needed that change to, to, to move forward. Like I said earlier, they're professional athletes. They're getting all getting paid well. You should be able to endure through whatever it is. But the fact of the matter is that there is a real difference now, and um, it's the, the coaching team has, has brought it about. And, you know, the, the biggest thing is Jake Muzzin said it right Geez, when was it? it was, I think it was uh, in Vegas uh, before the, the before that game and before the coaching changes. Look, it was right after the team meeting. And he said to us, you know, we can meet all we want. In fact, just winning solves everything. Yep. And they've won six of nine now under Keith, and that, that happiness is back. You're, you're bang on about that. I don't think there's any doubt about it. One question I want to ask is when Babcock was leaving, this is something I forgot to ask you know, previous okay. when we were talking. He addressed Morgan Riley specifically. Yeah. Do you think, or do you know of, was there any blowback from that in the locker room? Any talk about that so. amongst the players? No, I don't think so, because you got to remember, um, even this Marner thing that happened with Marner in January, it'll be January, like next month will be three years. He and Babcock got along to an extent after all that. Yep. After those after those waters were, were, were smooth and everything, they got along, so... It wasn't like there was a building thing. I, you know, did it look great for Riley that he was the only player singled out there? Not really. I mean, when it's what was him, Tannenbaum, and Lou Lamorello. Yeah. You know, no, no mention of Dumas, no mention of Shanahan. Not the best for the player, but at the same time, I think it's it's Babcock recognizing that this was the guy who was here from day one with me. You know, I think uh, at the end of that first year, Nylander came up at the end and played a bit. I mean, might have as well. I can't remember yeah. correctly. It's you know three and a half years, but Riley was the one that was there the one constant for Babcock through all of it. And I think it was more of a recognition than that, uh, than anything else. But, um, no, I, I don't think there was anything like that. Like, like what you, uh, what you're asking about in the dressing room at all. I, I've never had that sense. And you'd think if there was, we'd have a sense that on the ice, and oh, it's not sure. happening, you know? So, Oh no, it just worth, for me, it's worth mentioning only because like he was single. Oh, yeah. So definitely got to yeah. ask that question, but, Another thing going forward with this squad, obviously, if you look yep. at the standings, we're not where we want to be. The team needs to make a push. I'm wondering for yourself, where do you see these guys finishing up? Because the wild card now is starting to look like it might be a harder thing to catch than second or third right. in the division. So I'm wondering where you see these guys going and how do they obtain getting to that spot? Well, I know that their schedule through the rest of the season if you will, they've gotten through some of the tougher parts of it. Yep. Um, if that makes sense, I know that one thing for sure is they've left less back-to-backs now. And they still have, you know, how many, three and a half months ago or whatever it is. But the, the at least on paper today, the um, the, comp- the value of the, uh, the opponent isn't as strong as it has been. So I think that'll help. Now, do I think they're going to make the playoffs? I think they still have... They have a they have a really good shot at it, yes, because it's what you talk about, Jamie, and the way the things shake down at the Atlantic Division, and uh, you know, five points out of the wild card right now, the, the Penguins. But there are a lot of factors to keep here in mind. Do you do you accept that if the Leafs then get into that top three in the Atlantic, you know, what of the Tampa Bay Lightning? Do we expect them to struggle through the rest of the season like they have been? No, Definitely I don't not. think anybody does. You know, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna get in there. At some point, uh, do we expect the Canadians and the Sabres to both uh, keep their heads above water and finish in the top three? Both of them? Yeah. Unlikely. Unlikely, yeah. right? The Boston Bruins have run and gone home there. We all know that. They're, 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 they're going to be fine. They're going to win the division. Now it'll be the question will be whether they can win the uh, conference over the Capitals, I would think. But, uh, you know, you're probably right. You're five points out now of the wild card, middle of December. 
and you're looking at that two, three spot in the division. And I think they have a great opportunity to get there. I mean, they're, the, the teams have caught up to them in a sense, games wise, uh, the Leafs had seemed every team in the division had three or four games in hand to them at a certain point. Well, you know, they, the Sabres, what, what's that? Tampa's got three in hand yeah. still, but you know, the Leafs, Sabres and Canadians have all played 32. There's just a two point difference between the Leafs and, and the, the Canadians and the Sabres now. So the Leafs have caught up in a sense. I mean, it must be a little bit difficult because, you know, they've won six of nine, like we keep saying under Keith and, you're not making the kind of headway in the standings where, you know, you've got that spot quote unquote secured and you haven't dropped out of it. I mean, now you, you lose a game and it seems you, you, you drop a bit in the standings, but um, you know, the, that resolve is there. They still have that belief in their room. I don't think that ever wavered. I think the belief was always there that they were going to be a playoff team. And uh, you know, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to believe we're talking about Jamie in the middle of December, whether it's going to be a playoff team, but here we are. Like I said earlier, we didn't expect the Babcock firing to come uh, when it did. I don't think we expected the struggles to come like they did, uh, but it all happened. And, you know, the Leafs by no means have bottomed out. I mean, they're, like you say, they're right in the thick of it. I think they're going to be in there and in the playoffs when uh, April 10th or 12th, whatever it rolls around. The, the other thing I'm wondering, you know, for the past couple of years, the Leafs have had a playoff spot locked up, whether it be January or early February. And basically... Right you know, rested on that for the rest of the season and going into the playoffs. And I've heard it mentioned on other podcasts and other places that maybe they weren't as battle ready as they should be. And it took a couple games to amp up their intensity. Do you think for a team that is looking to get into the playoffs and pushing that it's better to come in battling and clawing and fighting to get into the playoffs and then go into the playoffs with that mentality? Or do you think, you know, cooling on your heels is better? I think a team battling to get in, and being battle-tested is a lot better than one that's been sitting and cooling. Well, I'll tell you this. All I know is that when the Tampa Bay Lightning came into Toronto in the last game or last week of the regular season last year, Jimmy, they couldn't wait for the playoffs to start. Yeah. They couldn't They couldn't wait, and they had been playing meaningless games forever, and we all know what happened. So I think that's that's just one example. You know, I don't have the list. I don't have records of funding as to how teams have to fight for it, wind up doing against those who have been able to quote-unquote coast. President's teams, uh, President you Cup want, trophy winners haven't yeah. won the Stanley Cup, so. Well, there you go. You want to be, I think you want to be in that mode or something close to it because we, we do know that it, it ramps up even more in game one of the playoffs, no matter what you had to do on the final night of the regular season to make it into the playoffs. There's another step that then is taken for game one of the first round, but I think if you're the Leafs, you know, it's, it's easy for us to say, if you're a player, do you want to say, oh, yeah, I'd much rather have it locked up around, you know, February 1st or March 1st or whatever, so you so you know. Yeah. But on the other on the other hand, you're playing um, high-level, intense hockey all the way through. And if you do wind up making it under those circumstances, I think that that will see you better um, through at least that first round. Because I think, you know, at some point, I think it all evens out. But certainly, if you can go into uh, that first round with that playing that kind of hockey it should benefit you oh definitely i always think that you know a team that's on its toes and and going that way yep. and i referenced the la kings who got in at eighth place and that's right. we all know what happened there right. they clawed their way in and they they were battle ready so yeah was that their first cup or the second one i can't remember Is that uh, i think it was their first cup they just they okay. squeaked in the playoffs and and away they went they were that cinderella yep. story that took it all by storm and to go back to tampa last year i look at a lot of parallels right now with boston you know, being on the heater, being hot, you know, being yeah. a team that's got two guys that are firing. Like, you look last year, Kucherov was just absolutely in Braden Point. Now this year yeah. for Boston, you have Pasternak and Marchand. You have to kind of wonder if they looked at what happened with Tampa and maybe we'll take a little off these guys or if they'll go full bore all year long and maybe they change the story. But I'm hoping that Boston goes out early and we don't have to face them if we do happen to get into the playoffs and make the second round. But you got to make yeah. the dance before you can start tangoing, so... You do, and you know what? I think the mentality in Boston is different than it is in Tampa. You still have a core of players there. I know it's been, well, geez, it'll be nine years in the spring. You still have a core of players that won the Cup together, yep. and they're all still doing good things for that team. So they've got that mentality, as, as old as it might be, that, that Tampa doesn't have. And, uh, you know, I think that that'll see them through. It's just, you watch, although it's funny, you know, you watch was it the Ottawa Senators beat the Bruins the other night. Uh, quite handily, and you're watching this game going, geez, you know, the, the Senators are able to do things against the Bruins that a team like the Leafs can't. 
the Washington Capitals have had the Bruins number for how long now? What are oh, sixteen sure. and one in seventeen games or something? It's kind of crazy. The Leafs can beat the Capitals on, on a given night if if, uh, if the things go their way. So it's kind of uh, I, I guess trying to figure these things out is part of what makes being around the, the game so much fun, Jamie. But oh, yeah. the fact is, you can't. And uh, you know, you, you see what happens once you line up in the playoffs. I think people have to remember too, as far as the Leafs went in the postseason, everything against the Bruins. They were never blown out. I know the first two games, not this past year, the year before, were a little yeah. I think it was twelve goals by Freddie in two games. So, but you get you get to game seven both times. Yep. And you know, look what the Bruins do after that. I mean, it's not it's certainly not hanging your head in shame. The Leafs are disappointed and devastated. Don't get me wrong. But both times you lose to a really good hockey club that's that's won before with that core of players. So, well, even Brad um, Marchand we'll said, see. you know, the, the series against the Leafs last year. They said that their hardest test getting to the Stanley Cup final was in round one against Toronto. Well, so I mean... That's a feather in the I, cap. I, I, yeah, I, I talked to Riley at some point during the summer, and we just kind of talked about that really briefly, about that door was blown wide open, right, uh, after that first round. Because who was it then? Columbus and Carolina? Yeah. On the road to the Cup final? And I'm not taking anything away from Blue Jackets or Hurricanes, but... Those aren't the matchups people are predicting going into it when no. Tampa's by the wayside. And if you're the Leafs and the Bruins are done too, if you manage to get past them, yeah. it just never happened. So it's uh, it, it, that sticks with them, I think. I mean, that, that resolve didn't help them at all in the early going under Babcock, but you know maybe it will once they get to, if they get back in the playoffs in the spring. I, I think, you know what, I think this squad here is destined for great things. And under Keefe right now, we're seeing guys being imp- – Put in places where they succeed, like Tyson Berry. You're seeing guys yep. get more ice time. The happiness is there around the rink. And it, like we said, this is in its infancy right now with Sheldon Keith. Things are only going to get better, more experiments, more different looks. And I cannot wait for the season to keep rolling. And it looks like it's on a positive note. And we got Calgary going on tonight. So that's going to be another fun game. Monaghan, Matthews, you know, Goudreau, Marner. Yep. So... I can't wait to see what happens, but I want to say thank you very much. You, you're always so generous with your time jumping on and spending time with us. So I hope we can do this more often through the season and just break down some Leaf games and have some fun. No problem, Jamie. I, I enjoy doing it. Anytime you can talk hockey and do this sort of thing with uh, people who uh, are knowledgeable, I'll happily do it. I mean, it's, it's fun for me too. So, and I, I just, I'm just looking forward tonight to kicking back and watching a game and I'd have to overly scrutinize it too much, you know? So. <laughs> well, I think we just did that for the past three, what, hour <laughs> here. So That's fine. That's cool. It's all good. All right. Well, Terry, again, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And uh, like I said, we'll look forward to talking to you very soon. Okay. Thanks, Jimmy. Take care, eh? Yeah, take it easy. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right, guys. So you heard it right there. That was Terry Koshan of the Toronto Sun. He follows around the Maple Leafs. He is a Leafs reporter. Awesome guy. Always gives us a time. All right, guys, check it out anytime you want. Podcast will be up a little bit later on. All right, I'm off to watch the Calgary game. I hope the Toronto Maple Leafs win. It's go Leafs go season.